0: Amen, 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 good evening, happy Wednesday to all of you, those here and those online, welcome. Hey, just uh, one announcement as you're settling in, we'll be picking back up in 1 Samuel 26. I'll take two chapters tonight, but uh, Operation Christmas Child, Samaritan's Purse, this Sunday, make sure you have your bring your boxes um, and... Uh, collection is this Sunday and delivery to the next station and <clears throat> gathering so it's not too late to go shopping and putting a box or two together and going online and establishing that and uh, and read the directions there there is a, a little uh, suggestion for providing for uh, the shipping as well so uh, a donation of that to help cover the shipping it's $10 so uh, again just If you do that, that's awesome. A bunch of boxes are already being collected out there, so it's pretty exciting. Well, good evening, and we welcome you, again, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and just blessed that you're here with us this evening, and uh, let's open up in prayer, and then we'll be opening our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 26. We'll take 26 and 27 this evening. Father, we thank you uh, of your gathering here this evening, Lord, that we can come and, and through the midweek and just kind of uh, center our minds upon you and each and every day. But Lord, sometimes things can get very busy through the week and what an opportunity to be able to come and open up your word and fellowship and gather here in your name. So we bless, bless the time, Lord, we pray that uh, we just gather here and just speak to our hearts as we open up uh, your word in Jesus' name. Amen. First Samuel chapter twenty six and twenty seven. <clears throat> if you remember here at the very end of chapter twenty five, uh, it's things just are, are unraveling for uh, Saul. Samuel is being tested uh, beyond his beyond him but he he finds still he's seeking the lord and he's showing and and mercy and and to and sparing saul's life as god gives him opportunity but to, to, to certainly could have taken his life, but that's not God's will. And David knew it wasn't God's will. All of his men, the 600 plus men and hiding in the caves certainly thought it was God's will. Everything seemed to be lining right up perfectly from their own perspective and from the fleshly perspective. And certainly, when he was chasing you and trying to kill you, you would think, I can strike you first and then that's how it works. But David understood that this was God's anointing and God would take out Saul in his timing and place him in to be king and not to lose sight that he knew God anointed him and God would make him king. He knew that promise. He knew that. It wasn't just a little voice in his head. Samuel came and anointed him with oil. Every, he knew this was a very formal. It was just not a question. God's calling on his life. There was no question that he was anointed to be the next king. There's not a question, but the challenge with most people is once they hear from God, this is what I have for you to do, is being patient and long-suffering and being worked by God in and through your life to accomplish those promises, in this case, to become king. And he cannot lose sight of that, regardless of the situation and the challenges in his life. He had to stay focused upon that truth. And when you don't see it, it can really, really challenge you. When you just don't see how it's going to work out, it doesn't matter you can't see how it works out. We live by faith, not by sight. But God said, God's going to fulfill it. He's faithful. As we sing, he's faithful. And so as we come in here to to chapter 26 and 27, I was going to say 28 tonight too, but then I came to my senses and said, no, I don't think so. I don't think I'll make it through three chapters. So we'll just press on for two, two chapters. But we'll find that David is going to find himself again and Saul, everyone involved. It's a dark season. It's still in a dark season. Things still haven't settled down as we will see. Even though Saul promised, even swore to God, I promise I will not kill you, uh, David. And, and we find that, that those were just words. So 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1. Now the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding in the hill of Hector? opposite of Jessimon, It's these Ziphites. We, we've seen them before. But they come and they present this question to Saul. They, they, they wanted, they were just, there's two the pigeons, right? The, the pigeons the scout come back and let you know where, you know, the scout tells you where someone is at. Saul wasn't looking, it appears, David, but certainly the enemy was helping David, I mean Saul, to find David. Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with them. Ah, he had the special forces with them. A very select group of highly trained men here with him. To do what? To seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped in the hill of Hakalah, which was opposite of Jeshimon, by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul was indeed coming. So it's interesting in these first four verses that the people of the city of Ziv betrayed David, told Saul exactly where David was hanging out. Why? Because David really didn't trust King Saul and didn't go back home. He couldn't go back home. He couldn't go back, couldn't go back to the palace. He couldn't go back into, into the near the home or anywhere near King Saul because deep down in he knew Saul really didn't mean it. It's multiple times Saul said he wasn't going to touch his life anymore. So now we, they try to gain the king's, King Saul's favor again and says, hey, we're here to help you. We're just kind of letting you ask you a question. If you're really looking at him, you know, this is where you could go find him. And sure enough, Saul's heart really was for it, and there was that opportunity deep within. And then what does he do? He, he finds his little special forces of 3,000 chosen men. That means Saul went back against his previous repentance back in chapter twenty four, verses sixteen through twenty one. David had an opportunity to kill Saul, but God, he knew God that would not have pleased God, even though it just seemed right in many people's eyes. He could have gone emotionally and and, and just and, and just really just. really tore into to Saul at that time in the, in the cave, but he, again, Saul, here's a king, he was moved emotionally, publicly, repenting, oh, you know, you could have taken my life, I, what am I thinking, oh, David, I'm not going to do that, no, this is terrible, I can't believe, I mean, and he seemed sincere, it seemed emotional, it seemed really deep repentance, but it didn't last long, So here we find he's on his way. He's, he's getting a sense that Saul's coming to look for him even though he chose. He's, I'm saying in the wilderness, I'm not going to go near that place. And, he's, and sure enough, he sent out spies and understood. You know, Saul had no idea exactly where David was, but David certainly figured out where exactly Saul was. And now we come to another opportunity to see what David's going to do. In verse 5, so David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay, and Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Now Saul lay within the camp, with the people encamped around him. Then David answered and said to Ahimelech, the Hittite, and to Abishai, the son of Zerah, brother of Joab, saying, who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and there Saul lay sleeping within the camp with his spear stuck in the ground by his head. And Abner and the people lay all around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now, therefore, please let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth, and I will not have to strike him a second time. <laughs> oh, my, oh, my, oh, my. Another Another test. Another test. David was stimulated and roused. It doesn't show anywhere where God said to David, go, go to Saul. Go to the camp, have a conversation with Saul, and say, what are you doing, Saul? Didn't you repent? Didn't you, didn't you promise that you wouldn't chase after me? Why are you down here again? Are you bringing presents? Are you going to invite me to come back to the palace and make it really simple? and easy?' No, David knew but David also felt belief that he needed to go to the camp and see for himself. And I, when did he make that decision that he was going to go try to have a conversation with Saul or just to really see it for his own eyes? Because it wasn't his trusted men of 600 men that were sent out the spies to go check out where Saul is. David himself said, I'm going, and who wants to go with me? It's interesting. And we find in the situation when he asks who is going to do this, you find Abishai is going to be the one that says, I'm going to go. Where's he going to go? Saul sitting there. He's, in, 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 he's, he's put up camp. So picture a king coming in. They put up a, a, a place where he's going to sleep. It might have had a, a little tent over him or some special things around him to indicate he's the king. He's got some luxury there. I don't picture him in his little, a little blanket sitting on the ground uh, and uh, everyone surrounding him. And he's got just a blanket living on the ground with the rest of his troops. I don't picture that at all. There would be some kind of kingship kind of of flags or tent or uh, something over him around. But some indication when he looks, what they would do in those times is they would place the one they're protecting in the middle. The elite guard would be sleeping around the king, especially his, his his. his, his right-hand man, the guy here who's supposed to be protecting him, his Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of the army, would have been right next to him, and all these others. And then these circles would be created so that anyone who was going to even try to penetrate the camp, they'd have to go through a, some of the very trained men before you would even close to getting to, to near the commander or to the, to the, to the king. So you got to picture this environment when all of a sudden David he's looking here and he's looking at you know, some of your translation says that Saul lay within a in the trench. But no, what would happen is their their entourage, their 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 carts would encircle, encircle, and it's like, you know, you can see these 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 it's like if you ever watch an old um uh, country and western kind of show the wagons are coming and here comes the Indians and the wagons would then circle and they would go around and around create the circle and, and get it really tight and all of a sudden you find this circle from the wagon wheels and it's like everything's inside the for protection it's the same concept here they would we'd circle around it wasn't like they were in a trench it was just that he was encircled around for protection But when David asks and rose and and came to this place where Saul had encamped and he comes with Abishai, we find it's an interesting place because the last time David and Saul met, met was simply hiding from Saul and Saul happened upon the place where David was in the cave. And so what we find here He could have sent his 600 men, but they had a 3,000. So it's not like he wanted to have a major war and battle right then and there. And why would David put himself in this dangerous position in the fact? But the fact that David did shows his boldness and courage. I mean, there's no question of boldness and courage in this man. And it it really, if you look at the rest of the story here, it really, God was leading, even though we don't have clear indication that God was said to him to go, you could see the the leading because of the the way this plays out. And I believe that God is testing David once again to live by faith and not by sight and not to be tempted through emotions, through feelings, through pressure, as a leader to make bad decisions. And anyone who's a leader, God's going to test you in your leadership in in your household. As a leader of your household, he will tempt you in regards to, not tempt, but test you. Test you these things in regards to will you stand firm on God's truth and leading by the spirit, leading by God's direction of what is right and good according to the word. Or are you going to get pressured? within the family, pressured within the church, pressured within certain things to move you in, into the feelings and emotions and things and make bad decisions. We've got to be very careful. So we see here, David saw the place where Saul lay and Abner, the son of Ner, the commander in his army. So he, everything is set up here. The entire army is sleeping, it says. And they're all sleeping around in a circle and trusting them, and they feel very secure because of their well-trained, highly-picked 3,000, special elite kind of guys. But then David, with his trusted assistant, a volunteered assistant of Abishai, secretly crept down to where Saul and Abner slept in the circle. And with Saul's spear right there, he never leaves home without it, that spear of his. Stuck in the ground right there by his head, so he could easily reach up and grab it to go into battle, all asleep. And Saul was completely vulnerable at that point in time because David and Abishai got right down to that place to see. Now, when you're right there, I, I'm visualizing, keep in mind, there is no light. Everything is extremely dark. There's no lights out. They're not generators are going and all these kinds of things. There's, it's dark. And so he had to be able to distinguish from the stars or whatever and the moon to be able to see enough and some kind of depiction that he knew where the king was sitting and, of course, the commander next to him. And so he got Abishai's response to David is that just like back in the cave with the guy who was saying, Hey, God has delivered your enemy into your hands this day. I mean, this is incredible. Again, logically, emotionally, you would think if you're not thinking about God's what God thinks about this, and you're only thinking what you think is right and according what you what the world would do, those are two different things. And Abishai's response is seems to be very carnally led because it wasn't godly led, as we will see. As David will come to his senses and understand, just like he did before, he will not touch Saul. But Abshai is certainly putting pressure on him. He went from God is delivered. He used the God moment. It must be of God. This is really lining up. And this is, you know, you think about the testing. How this is testing David, because David gave Saul an opportunity to get free and not take his life the last time. Now the same opportunity is coming up again to be able to take take his life. What's going on in that squirrely mind of David? He's coming back after me again. He he supposedly repented. He supposedly said he won't touch my life. And now he's back again. Should I have taken his life the first time? And now I've got a second opportunity. That must mean I should be taking his life. I should go for this thing. Maybe the guys were right the first time. Now Abishai is saying the same thing. It It makes sense. He even went as far as Abishai saying, You don't touch them, don't touch King Saul. I will touch King Saul. I will be the one that'll take the spear and stick that right through his head, right in the ground. I don't need a second chance after I get him the first time. And if anyone says, You took King Saul's life, David could say, I didn't touch him. No touch of you here. I didn't touch him. i I'm. 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 I'm not. I wasn't going to touch him. No. No. He. He could have used all those actual rationalization in his thinking and calculation and said, "Hey, I didn't touch him. It was Abishai. He was a little young guy. He was a little high-strung, and I couldn't hold him back. And he just grabbed the spear and took out Saul. No. No. I mean, it'd be very, very um. Uh, the justice element here would have been really kind of sweet, right? The, the spear that was trying to kill David is the actual spear used to kill Saul. I mean, this, this would have been a great story. A book would have been written by this for this. But the spear that was thrown at David certainly was attempted murder of, of, of his life. Not once, but Twice. And it now could be the actual instrument that the Lord's righteous judgment. We could use His own spear to take him out. If you really think this through, it really does seem everything is lining up for Him to take, take out, take out Saul finally, finally get rid of someone who's trying to seek your life and kill your life. You can finally rest and stop, uh, stop running. Because remember, Saul took his wife gave it to another man, took his family, took his house, took everything. He had lost everything. And now there's an opportunity to take this man out. So what did he do? Verse 9. David said to Abishai, do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Again, he's saying He's, he's not responding to his flesh. He's not responding to his feelings. He's not responding about getting taking the pain out the, the pain and the suffering. He's not looking for him to get out of the pain and suffering and all these things. He's saying, God, what do your what do you say? What does is, what is your word say? What is, what is truth? The truth is, this is still God is allowing Saul to be in a position of power of, of King and not him yet. So he's asking Abishai the conversation. Now, when did that conversation take place? Was it, was it before they entered the camp? No, I think he would, they were whispering right there. Like, I mean, that's a little conversation that's happening really low, not to wake anybody up. When the whole, the whole uh, circled camp is probably snoring and, and singing a tune and everything is going on. David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him. Notice that. As the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him. Or his day shall come to die. Meaning, the Lord's going to strike him. Or he's going to grow up really old and just die. Or he shall go out to battle and perish, going out against the enemy. He's he's saying the Lord is going to take care of this one of three ways. Saul won't be king forever. And the Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But please take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. So David, I love this when you really take it slow. He's asking, but please now take the spear. He's saying to Abishai, Please, just grab the spear, grab the jug of water so that we have evidence. I was right by your head. I could have taken your head off. Just take it again, just like he cut off the part of his robe in the cave and then showed the piece. I, I could have taken you out, man. And so he grabbed this. But notice Abishai didn't grab it. So David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head, and they got away. Take, don't miss that little subtleness. Was it Abishai going, like, wait, 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 come on, come on, let me, or he said, no, I'm going to take the spear and do this, and David's say, like, okay, I'm not taking a chance here. I'm just going to grab the spear myself in the jug of water, and let's get out of here, because obviously Abishai, even though he said, please, means Abishai was begging him to let me take this man's life, and David's like, please, please just grab the spear, grab the water, let's get out of here. No, no. And so David ended up having to grab it. And they got away. And no man saw it or knew it or awoke. There was absolutely the entire 3,000 plus two did not have any under awareness that this was all taking place in the middle of the night. For they were all asleep. Why? Because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. That's why we know the Lord was leading David. That's why we know the Lord was in it. All 3,000 plus two were all that in the deep sleep that they didn't even notice that these two guys were stepping over them and walking through and trying to find in the darkness to get to the king. God was in it. It wasn't that David thought Saul was right, that he could just try to take his life. He knew that was wrong. That this Saul was deeply in sin. He was twisted in his mind. He was so bitter and angry. He was so self-focused. He was a self-imploding here. He was in a very dark place, Saul was. And this season of darkness in his life was going to last it all until the end of his life. He was in a very dark season of life. And the only thing that would happen is if he would listen to God and God that he would just surrender his life and truly repent and truly change his heart but that wasn't going to happen it didn't happen but david knew he could not reach out and touch use his hand to touch this man i mean some people you really think it through he's like david i mean he's got all the right reason righteousness it's a righteous anger a righteous reason for to take saul and kill saul but He turned on his promises multiple times. But he said exactly what he should have said right at that moment, just like we find in Romans 12, verses 17 through 21 there. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Who says it? Says the Lord. I mean, these these things that we see, you don't have to have vengeance on someone. Even though you could have all the righteous reason why you should be able to strike someone who's trying to kill you or take you out or hurt you in some way. But we're not to do that. David knew that it wasn't hard for God to kill Saul, he could take Saul's life at any point. He recognizes that God is in control, the Lord's in control of Saul's life. And he just needed to wait and let God do the work. Every breath that Saul took, it was God-given. And yes, God does allow wicked men to continue to live. But when it came to the end, then it's all over. It'll be all over. It'll be interesting as we continue here. You'll see it in the, in, in the scripture of, uh, of speaking of, of, of a time when, it, obviously, Saul will die here. But David had to grab the spear and the jug because Abishai didn't. And he had, they knew to get out of here. But the Lord was in control, bringing them in a deep sleep. Verse 13. Now David went over to the other side. There's a big ravine there, another side, right? It's another place far enough away. Notice here, he stood on top of a hill afar off. So it's definitely, uh, he's, he's far enough away. could see everything, you know, from where they're at, a great distance uh, being between them. And David called out to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Do you not answer, Abner? Okay. So we see here we find David is playing a little bit and poking Abner the commander. He's just poking him. He's going to so he's obviously David's trying to get the people's attention. He's trying to get everyone's attention in the thing from a distance and people are probably just saying, and we find he calls out Abner do you, do you not answer Abner are you going to answer me or wake up here whatever you're doing here. And Abner answered and said, who are you calling out to the king? So that tells you he's calling King Saul, King Saul. He's calling every. Trying to get the attention of everybody. He finally says, do you not answer, Abner? Why aren't you not uh, listening? Someone's calling on the king here. So David said to Abner, are you not a man? Oh, now he's really challenging his manhood. He's really poking him here. And who, are, who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your Lord the king? For the one of the people came in to destroy your Lord the king. This thing that you have done is not good, Edner. Edna, you really failed on your, your mission here to protect the king. And as the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed and now see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that was by his head. So he was really, really bringing a a focus here and attention and drawing attention where Abner had failed, the whole 3,000 elite guys, chosen guys failed, and it was clear and obvious that those two were right there. And had evidence that they were right near, next to the king's head. I mean, this is a vivid scene. David is saying, "I am caring more for your king than you are, Abner. That's how much I think about the king, and I understand that he's anointed, and that God is." You didn't. You're obviously not uh, as serious about your role as I am portraying here. I mean, this is huge evidence. I mean, a very dramatic scene. I mean, this is absolutely undeniable proof that David had the opportunity to kill Saul, and he did not. Not just once, now the second time. Showing, sparing the king's life. Showing mercy once again. So what happens? Verse 17, Then Saul knew David's voice and said, Is that your voice? my son David. So when he says that, is that your voice? A, he couldn't see. He obviously could see him, but he's just verifying, okay, is that what I'm hearing from a distance? Who are you out there? And he knew David's voice. And he called David, my son David. And David said, it is my voice, my lord, O king. Notice there, he didn't call him father this time like last time. And he said, why doesn't my lord thus pursue his servant. He's asking a good question. Why are you pursuing? You said you weren't going to do this anymore. For what have I done? Or what evil is in my hand? Now therefore, please let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. If the lord has stirred you, stirred you up against me, Now, so here's David. He's like, there's got to be a reason. So let me give you some options here. I want you to kind of focus in on the option to tell me where I went wrong here. He says, if the Lord had stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. If this is the Lord doing it, okay, I'm going to accept this here. But if it is the children of men, those around you, influencing you to do this against me, may they be cursed before the Lord. May the Lord deal with them for steering you up and misleading you as a king and causing you to do this and coming against me. It's not you, it must be your men who's doing this. It must be others influencing you to do this. Because you wouldn't do that, right? For they have driven me out of this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord. I've lost everything. So if these men have influencing you and you think I'm still trying to get you, you they've really taken everything away from me. From sharing in the heritage of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. They're driving me to go to the enemy, to go serve other gods, to be not around the people and not to serve the one and true God here. This is what the influence that they're having in this. So now, do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord, for the King of Israel has come out to seek a flea as when one hurts a partridge in the mountains it's interesting a little say right here because the phrasing of of my lord my king my lord please let my lord his servant i mean david is trying to a genuine humility in front of king saul David could have had a great, a, a huge attitude. Like, you're, dude, you're like you're trying to kill me multiple times here. I am so mad and so angry and so, I'm just, I can't believe I didn't take your head off the first time, the second time. He did, wasn't like that at all. Great humility and recognizing who King Saul is. He asks him, please, please ask Saul, tell me, consider all these facts and, and to clearly think about why are you trying to kill me here? I mean, why would David go to that extent? Because David knows why Saul is trying to kill him. But David's trying to give him a time, again, to to examine his life and say, why are you so bitter and angry toward me? All the reasons why you have is not justifiable of your actions against me. Spelley's trying to kill me and take me out and hurt me, to take everything away. Cause division and all the, all the things that's coming with it. Why would you be doing it? He's trying to bring them to his senses to, under, to repent, true repentance, and say, you're, you're right. This is ridiculous. Saul's come, I'm so bitter, I'm so carnality, I'm so jealous, I'm so, so insecure, and so all these things, it's literally, I'm literally losing my mind, and I'm, that's the reason why I'm trying to kill you. I've got to repent, I've got to change. trying to help him to come to understanding of his actions and stop rationalizing. But David also revealed his own heart here. You've driven me out. You're forbidding me to have any inheritance of the Lord here. You're causing me to push me to leave the land that God has called me to to and to live in, and you're calling, pushing me out into the, the, the into the world and to to other gods to to walk to walk away. He's really sharing where a, a very dark season in his life. Remember, it's not just Saul's having a dark season. David's having a dark season of season of life too. You know. And at the very end there, he says, you're coming out and you're chasing after a flea. I am so small compared to, to what, you, what you have, King Saul. Why, why are you chasing a little flea here? Or chasing like a partridge as the Arabs would do. They would go up into the mountains and they would cause the birds of partridges to constantly fly. They would never let them land. They're always pushing them and getting them to sit. And eventually the partridges would become so weak they could no longer take off. And that's when you club them and you get them. He's saying, why are you treating me like that? I, I get settled in. You come in and you make me run again. And you make me run again and run again and cause me to move and run again and go this. And eventually, you're trying to tire me out so I don't move. I, get, I can't move anymore. And then you're going to club me. You're going to take me out. You're, in this case, you're going to spear me. Why are you doing that to me? What was Saul's response? Verse 20, 21 and Saul said i have sinned return my son david for i will harm you no more because my life was precious in your eyes this day indeed i have played the fool and erred exceedingly <laughs> the last time Saul was in this situation he was overcome with emotion remember that uh, he was just he lost it at the cave situation and his feelings, and his outward emotions and feelings and things, what he said, it seemed like he really was repenting, and there was, but there was really no life change. But this time, notice, the language is not as emotional. He just seems to be cold and mechanical. I have sinned. Return my son David, for I will harm you no more. Because my life was precious in your eyes as day. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. Again, the words seem right, but the feelings aren't there. The other time, it was all feelings, but it wasn't the right heart. And this time, it's just the words, but really no feeling. There just seems to be not something right here. Both from the feeling of the verse and Saul's subsequent actions here. Saul isn't really repentant, but only bitterly realizes that God, David, had the upper hand and got the better of him again. Saul was just so spiraling down so far in such a dark, dark place. He just wasn't recognizing and understanding he really thought he was doing what is right and good. And, and we all could possibly get to that place where you, actions and your feelings and your, all these things is so underlined with bitterness and jealousy and resentment and whatever the, the basis is. It can literally cause you to be in a dark place where you really think what your actions and responses are, are Right when they're not right. So David, what is his response here in 22? And David answered and said, here's the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and get it. <laughs> don't you come over and get it and don't ask me to bring it over there because I still don't trust you because I can sense And it's not, it's not jiggy. So you just send a young guy, not a big warrior, not a big guy. Just a young guy. Just send him over here. I'll get you the, your spear. I know how important that spear is to you. But may the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today. But I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes. Because I do value your life. So let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord. Not yours, but the Lord's. And let him deliver me out of all tribulation. I'm not looking, David, I mean, uh, Saul, I'm not looking for you to do anything you're not capable of doing because you're not capable of changing. You're so dark. You're so spiraled out of control. I don't put any trust in the fact that you're going to change. I'm just going to put my life flatly, completely, solidly, In the Lord's hands. And he will deliver me out of all the tribulations. Meaning, he knew that tribulation wasn't going to end. Just like the other times, he thought it was going to end. And this time, he knew it wasn't going to end. This is just going to continue. Regardless of the the, the chatter and the words that are said, it doesn't matter. The the changed heart was not happening. And Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great things and also still prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. So David trusted God. He will trust him for the blessing and the righteousness, the faithfulness. David knew the truth. Even in Hebrews 6 10. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name. These things are true. We serve God. We work. We labor of love. It is all for God's sake, not for others. And David understood this principle. Even in Jesus spoke of this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 2. With the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. It's a reaping and sowing. And David wanted the large measure of God's mercy for himself. So he was going to show mercy toward others, even though they don't deserve it. But we don't deserve mercy. So David showed Saul the largest measure of mercy by keeping his life, because everyone around him wanted to take him out. That's a generous measure of mercy here. And it will be a great blessing toward David later on in life, we'll see. But David wanted to fulfill his calling to be the next king of Israel. He wanted to do that. He He understood what God's plan for his life was, but he wanted both the throne and the blessing of God to be with him. Not just be the say you're on the throne of God, I, I did the, what I did, and it didn't matter how I got there. Even if that means taking out the the, the previous king, as I'm on the throne, that's all that matters. See, a lot of people think that way. All that matters is if I can just climb the ladder or get there and be able to do this and take control and have my way. It doesn't matter how I get there as long as I can get it. And then when you get it, you're not going to be blessed. It's going to be an empty and dark place. You'll be at a very dark place, even if you achieve it. So David said, I'll wait. I'll wait and let God do it his way, God's way. David trusted that God would protect him when he did eventually come to reign over Israel. He knew. God's in control. And so David held on to this principle. It's a principle you must understand. He understood, David understood, when he became king, he recognized his righteousness was rewarded. And how do we know that? We see that written in Psalm 18, verses 20 through 27. And so now we see them parting ways. Saul invited David to return back in chapter 20, you know, 26, verse 21. I mean, there's certainly, Saul implied that he could come back, but David did not take the invitation. Why? Because he's waiting to see if he truly, Saul had repenting, repentance, a changed heart. Not just words, but actually a changed heart. Genuine repentance in his life. But we're going to find now in, in this next chapter, chapter 27, that you would think, okay, it's it's done. It's, it's, it's going to get better. We're parted ways. It's going to get better. There's nothing more to say. David and Saul parts their way. They actually never see each other again after this point. But even though the enemy has departed and you're not going to see them, hasn't seen them, doesn't mean you have to be very careful when you're going through something like this. Look at verse chapter 27. We find David now goes into the dark, dark season himself even further. He's already in a dark season. Someone's trying to kill him. His father-in-law is trying to kill him. Everyone's coming against him. He's he's, he's a a fugitive. He has no place. He's he's around the enemy even. And it gets worse because if he doesn't deal with it, he can go into a dark place just like Saul. And look what happens here in verse 1. And David said it in his heart. Notice those. Underline this. David said in his heart. Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul he couldn't get it out of his head Saul was haunting him he was so un, it's almost like post traumatic stress here and it's going into disorder because now in his own heart in his own thinking his own feelings he's leaning on his own understanding he's literally self absorbing of just talking to himself here he says now i'll I shall perish someday by the hand of Paul. He was convinced there's no doubt that Saul will be coming back and killing him. There's nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. This is so bad of a situation. I know every hey, Saul's against me. Everyone's against me. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm leaving town. I'm going, I'm going to the mountains. I'm going to the Philistines. That's where I'm heading. I'm gonna leave where it's good and right where God wants me to. I'm gonna leave because I just I just know it. I, I just feel it in, in my heart. I just know this is, this is what I have to do. And Saul will, will uh despair of me to seek me anymore in any part of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. He thought the solution was for to run. He went from The moment here, we don't know how much time is between chapter 26 and 27. But at one point, God is going to take care of me and protect me. God's got this under control. I'm not worried about this. And then there's a time battle. All of a sudden, in this time gap, whatever that is, David then just kind of, in his own heart. Not what God told him. Not based on anything, evidence of showing it. But he said, "I, I need to run. I got to get out of here. Of course it's going to be better where God's not. Cuz he's going to the Philistine camp. He's going to go all the place where all lots of gods are it's a very sad story here in in chapter 27, because here's David said in his heart, he may have never said it out loud. He may never even implied it to anyone else around him in his inner circle. He may never even said it to God himself. But in his heart, he determined this was what, what was right and good. And being in the ministry, I've watched this played out more times I can count. Why did you go? Did you tell anybody? No. Why didn't you see them? I'm not, I did I didn't, and I, you know, I just knew it in my heart I had to do it. And you guys, every angle, and I say, did you tell anybody? No. I only told them what I was going to do, and they kind of, if they were with me, they're with me. If they weren't, they weren't. See what we say in our own heart when we have that inner little squirrely talking in our own. And really, what's in our heart? That it has tremendous power in one's life. It shapes our thinking. It shapes our actions. It even shapes our whole destiny. This self-talk, this leaning on your own understanding, driven by your feelings, not by God and His Word, or you'll make some really. We will make some really bad decisions in our life. And he was convinced he was going to be killed by Saul. There's nothing better for me. I I need to literally go to the land of the Philistines, to the enemy camps. Outside, away from God. Remember, where he's at is a representation of God, the people of God. I'm going to get away from the people of God. I can't, the, no, nope, I got to get out of here. I got to get away from the land. Nope, nope, I got to get out of there. Before he's like, I've lost all my inheritance. What is going on here? I don't want to lose my hand. Now he's actually making a choice to actually walk away from that. Why? Because he's in a dark season. David, who is in absolute despair, He's spiraling into the depression of despair of life of what was going on because he was by himself in a very dark place. At one point, Saul could never drive David to the Philistines. If Saul told David go to the Philistines, he would have never done it. He would have never bowed down to the enemy. He would have never bowed down to any of this. But when you get to a point of discouragement and despair and just powerfulness and the enemy who comes in, just like Saul, and then all of you have this discouragement and despair, and your discouragement and despair and you're spiraling out of what, and you stop talking. Now David stops talking to God. He stops leaning on God, trusting in God, and he's just now leaning on his own understanding. He's leaning on what his heart and feelings are and the thing and he makes a really bad decision. What does he do? Verse 2, then David arose and went over with the 600 men who were with him to Achish, to, to the son of Maok, the king of Gath. So David dwelt, so he's going back to where he did before here. He's going back to Gath country here. This is the this is the Goliath country. This is where he got picked up the last time, if you remember. He went in there thinking he could just kind of slide in there. It's just him, and just slide in there with Goliath's sword and they picked up on him and and captured him quick. He had to end up acting like a madman. Remember? Scratching and acting, drooling and everything else. So they thought they were just losing his mind. He wasn't going to be a threat and said, get him out of here. And they kicked him out and he was able to get released. Remember? Now he's going back again. Back to Maok, the king of Gath. So David dwelt at Akash. At Gath and he and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinaam and the Jezeelites, and then Abigail, the Carmelitus and Nabal's widow. and it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. This time is interesting because now David really thinks the right answer is to go to enemy territory, to go into the Philistines, get away from God's people, to get away from God's place where He has them. And we find here it's now not affecting just King Saul. I mean to uh, David. It's now affecting 600 men and their families. That's who it's affecting. He's literally now bringing others into enemy territory and they trusted this man. They trusted that he was thinking wisely, that he was, he was doing what God wanted him to do, whatever he, they believed blindly. Why? Because they were, they were out there, they didn't have a leader, and they, they just trusted in this man that they were good, he was doing what is right. And, no, they went into the enemy territory. And when they told him where he was at, Saul didn't chase him. He saw him no, no more. But now he's in, in enemy territory because David sunk into his pit of discouragement and despair. He would never have dreamed of going there if he was in his right mind. But David thought that was the best place for him to, for his life and obviously for 600 other men in their families. But it wasn't. But it's interesting. Why would he go to the place where they tried to capture him before, and why would he put all these other men at risk and everything else in regards to this? Well, if you think about it, Akech received David this time. Why? Because this time it was clear, and everyone knew it was clear that David and the and King Saul were at great odds. There were he was not going back, he's not favored at all in Israel. So he is different in this time. And not only does he now commit to coming and volunteering, they said, you're coming back, there must be a reason why you're coming back. So they didn't, they didn't, put him into slavery or anything like that. No, they said, I, we, we could use you. If you're obviously running from Saul, everyone knows you're running from Saul. You're not at odds here. Or you're at odds with him. And you're now bringing 600 fighting men with you. We'll take the mission, uh, uh, the uh, uh, mercenaries. We'll take the extra guys here. We, we, we need them to fight. So they saw an advantage of David in it, all these men coming now. You know what's interesting? In the other parts where David had difficult times, he wrote psalms about those moments. But this time when he's in despair and and, and this moment where he's going back into Achish, we see no psalms written by David during this time. There's no high point in his spiritual life at this point. He didn't write a sweet psalm unto the Lord for God bringing him through this, the other times of despair. He would have this sweet psalm to represent of what God's done. This one we don't see in the psalms because he's not in the right place. Verse 5, then David said to Achash, If I have now found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So Akesh gave him Ziglag that day. Therefore, Ziglag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Now the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one year and four months. This is a year and four months that he's living in the foreign territory and the enemy territory. But he was wise enough here, says, I don't want to live under your microscope of the royal city. Because I think that would be not a good place for you or for us. It's not wise. I think it's best for us to just take us and our my six hundred men and families and just tuck us away from a little city just outside as part of the gated or the walled area. We'll just kind of set aside. And he honored that and said, Yeah, let's put you in that place there. Why did he ask for that? Well, I think he didn't want to be micromanager watch and critically looking. But David also didn't want to be impeded to be able to do what he wanted to do, which we will see is to go and actually conquer Philistine and other enemies in the area without them even knowing it. And we will see this played out here in verse 8. And David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites and the Gergesites and the Amalekites, for those nations were the inhabitants of the land from, from of old. As you go to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt, whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive, but took away the sheep and the oxen and the donkeys and the camels and the apparel and returned and came to Achish. So what we see here is he raided. He, it means to strip. He would, walk, he would come into the community who one of the enemies of Israel and just strip it bare. There was no evidence of him being there. He just wiped them out. No one knew. He took everything, killed everybody, so no one can go back and say, do you see what David's men is doing to us here? He would make sure there was no evidence of who was doing this, but he would strip this there right, and, and loot the place completely. And so David attacking these villages, and these camps would come and, and, and that's how he provided for and made sure he was continuing. Obviously, what he needed to do was get the enemy out of Israel territory. But this was no way of life. This was no way of life for a man after God's own heart. Obviously, David was not totally against God's people and and against uh, God himself. He, he He didn't turn away from God. Never intended to turn away from God. But because of the dark places, the actions caused him to drift away from God. Even though he finds he did some things, in this case pushing the enemy or taking the enemy out, but it wasn't God's way of doing that. I think it just, I think it's, unfortunately, I think it was a way for David to find comfort in his dark place. Get his frustrations out. The turmoil that was happening in his mind and heart. But all he was is an armed robber, a murderer. He killed all the people of the village and camp, every man and woman, everything. Across. God didn't ask him to do that. He did it, he fought wars just for profit. He did these things just for profit. That didn't honor God. Then verse 10. Then Akish would say, Where have you made a raid today? So they're watching him. They're watching to see what David's doing. Where do you go? Where do you bet? I see all the stuff you're bringing back. What do you do? David would say, against the southern area of Judah, or against the southern area of the Jer, or you say that, Milanites, whatever you say. It's a long word. Against the southern area of the Kenites, David would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath. He didn't want any news to get back to Gath, what he was doing. He was taking out the enemies, not Israelis, not the, the Jewish people. unless they should inform on us, saying, thus David did, and thus was his behavior all the time, he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. So Achish believed David, saying, he has made his people Israel utterly abhor him, therefore he will be my servant forever. So David's lying. Cover up what he's been doing here. He, he, he was, you know, he found himself in a very bad place. When you're not in God's place, where God wants you to be, you are going to cause a more rippling effect. Lying and cheating and stealing, whatever it takes to figure out how to keep people from knowing that you're not in your right mind. You're in a dark place. you just it just it, it, every aspect. If people really are watching, like they can see the, the signs and the symptoms that are happening here. But he was gaining favor to Akish. He was making it sound like he's really for Akish and really against the, the Jewish people, against God's people. He's I I'm I'm really for you and not for God's people. And that's my old life. I'm now for you. And Akish bought it. He knew if he kept, gave a good line and made it sound good, he knew that, he, that this Philistine leader is going to bite onto the hook here and and just really believe what David's doing is, is really for Achish. Can be one of him. We're we're like he's going to be my servant forever. He's not going to be a. He's going to do whatever I tell him to do. He's really for me here. But all along. He wasn't raiding his own people of Israel. He was raiding the enemies. You know, it's interesting as you continue to study David's life, even though... We see him in a dark place and he's doing things not in his right mind. And he's going to a place where he should never be. He's killing people in a way that God never called him to do it. And when this thing, that starts a trend of things. And when you study the life of David, he has far more darker seasons of his life than what he's in right now. But this is the cattle. This is the start of it. It starts here, a certain, that bitterness, the angry or whatever that starts, this fear of being killed by Saul, the fear of lost everything, whatever it is, the uncertainty, it took his eyes off of God, the promise of God where he was, was, now he's not there, and all of a sudden he's on this slippery slope, and we find it's a dark season down the road, he's with Bathsheba, he ends up killing her husband Uriah, I mean, it doesn't get better, but this is the start of it, and it always snowballs and gets worse. But the roots of that sin when he killed Uriah is starting right here when he's just raiding people and killing them for profit. It made it even easier to think that. His heart went down that dark place again. Once he found himself in a very dark place and fear of gin and and fear of loss, fear of whatever, you know, having Bathsheba have a baby out of thing, he got fearful and he irrational, thinking and behavior. And again, it led to murder just like he's doing now. Achish thought he was in a good place. David's good and all of his men. This is great. We're going to go out and conquer everybody. This is great. He believed that David burned all of his bridges. There is no return for him now. And when that happens, look what the enemy does. When he thinks he's got you and you've burned all your bridges. You can't repent. You can't go back. They're not going to accept you back. No, you've done it now, man. You've really sinned. You've screwed up big time. They're never going to receive you back. Look at all the rumors and gossip that's going to happen if you go back. The enemy's got you in your mind, right? That you can never go back to God. You can never go back around God's people. That's how the enemy works. Look what the enemy does to David here, verse, verses uh, 1 and 2 of chapter 8. Just the first two verses. And it said, Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, You surely know that you will go out with me to battle you and your men. And David said to Achish, Surely you know what your servant can do. Didn't say, I absolutely committed with you. I'm going with you. And there's no question I'm going you. know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go with you. No, he just slightly changed the language. You surely know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Therefore, I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. That's how much he, he had... David had faked it. Faked it until he got accepted. David lied to Achish. telling him he was raiding people of Israel. Now David is forced to live the lie that he gave to Achish. That's exactly how the enemy works. The enemy gets you to lie and backpedal and do all kinds of things and squirreliness And Man, the enemy got you going. And then he's going to put you in a position where you have to follow through with the lie. Here, do you, you think David is completely surrendered to this ungodly man, Achish. He's going to go out with the Philistines and fight against Israel. And David and his men, all this training, he's like a double agent going on. But the text shows us, it gives us no reason for such an optimistic perspective that David is really going to do anything when it comes to Achish here. David is at such a very low point in his life, such a dark season of his life. But we will see what happens next as we move on into the next chapters. But to some degree every one of us as a Christian has been where David is at this backsliding state of mind. I just feel it in my heart. This is the right thing to do. We can understand where David is, can't we? We've all been in the despair and disappointment and darkness. We've all been there. But it's still wrong. It's still not justifiable to go and run into foreign uh, enemy territory and walk away from God's people and to God's place where he has you. It's still wrong. David was wrong. And it's very dangerous because it never affects just you. It affects everyone around you. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word that you can speak to us and teach us and help us to grow in our, our life of just trusting in you Deepen our faith in you, Lord. Deepen our trust where we will actually follow through and walk by faith and not by by sight. To walk in the spirit and truth and not into lies or deception or things that do not line up with your word, Lord. Help us to have clarity. Help us to just surrender all and just literally live this, just that this, humbled life a content life lord just knowing we're also very vulnerable when things in life beat us down and and we get into our heads and just lord just help us to just fight every thought that doesn't line up with your word lord just let us bring every thought into captivity help us to be more open and transparent don't let the enemy cause us to close up and to, to hide and go into darkness of things in our life. Lord, just help us to be more transparent with you and those who love that you bring around us who love us, Lord. So that we're not caught into like what David is. Teach us these things, we pray. Help us to live a life that's pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.